Welcome to another edition of the InsuranceAUM.com podcast. The private credit market's now multi-trillion dollar market. It's too big to ignore. Right now, banks are operating with far more reserves than they'll ever need. We may not get a economic recession. We might get a financial market recession. There had to be a better way. It's critically important what's happening with the jewelry market for gold. Unemployment is a record low. The timing is just perfect. My name's Stuart Foley. I'll be your host. We're very happy to be joined today by Ken McCullum, Executive Vice President and Chief Risk Officer of the Principal Financial Group. Ken, thanks for being on. Thank you, Stuart. Really appreciate you having me and look forward to the discussion today. We are responding to our listeners' inquiries who uh, ask us to, why don't you put on some CROs? You've got CIOs on all the time, and it would be great to hear from a CRO. And so you are the first of hopefully more to come and we're thrilled to have you. I want to start this the way we start them all, which is uh, I want to ask you where you grew up, what was your first job, and what makes insurance asset management so cool? Hey, well, I appreciate all of that. I, you know, I moved around as a kid, but I'll claim Bloomfield Hills, which is a suburb of Detroit, as my deepest roots and my hometown. And I still pull for the Detroit sports teams, painful though that can be. And uh, my first job is one that I'm glad to be behind and would never do again. That was at a Dairy Queen. And it got me real motivated to want to get an education and do something different with my life than that. So, you know, what we do cool is what we do for our customers. You know, individuals and families need to save and prepare for retirement. And they, they don't get a chance to do it over if they screw it up. So they rely on companies like ours to provide them with the investment advice, the investment products, the guaranteed streams of income, and the protection products that have them confidently go through their working years, providing for their families and into their golden years and their retirement years, confident that they're well-positioned to enjoy them. That's fantastic. And the principal, I always refer to the principal financial group as the principal, the same way that I do the Hartford, the Travelers. Your company has been around for a long time. You're a a bedrock insurance company in this space. And maybe not everybody knows that you also offer third-party asset management services to insurance companies. And so one of the first questions I guess I have, Ken, is can you talk a little bit about the perspective that being an insurer brings to your role as an asset management firm? Yeah, absolutely, Stuart. And you know, you're right. We have a long history doing this. We just had our 144th birthday on July 1st. And we think a lot about how we can be most competitive for our customers by investing the premium dollars that they give us today to pay the claims and the benefits that they count on us for in the future. And those time horizons uh, can be uncertain and they can be fairly long and they require you to be able to invest in a way that it's going to generate a lot of accumulation and growth while managing through a variety of economic cycles and making sure that you have a risk profile that's suitable for those goals and objectives of your insurance company clients. So, you know, we've built a strong heritage, obviously, in fixed in- income and especially real estate in doing that. The other thing is we were one of the first companies to get into the retirement market in the defined contribution space with 401ks and had to take a similar mindset of investing for the customer's needs with the products that were most suitable for them. And so we're an innovator with target date funds 
and things like that uh, to make sure that we could help those customers as well. One of the things I think would be helpful, what does a CRO do at 40 or 50,000 feet? Yeah, no, great question. Fundamentally, my job is to make sure that we understand all the risks that we're exposed to as a company and that we've properly not only identified them, but assessed them and managed them and that we're constantly reacting and identifying new and emerging risks. We have an obligation to share this with investors in our company, so our stock and bond holders. We have an obligation to report it to senior management and to the board of directors and to our regulators and to the rating agencies. And we have an obligation to also make our customers aware of how we manage risk for them and the investment products that they buy from us and from the company's perspective and the insurance products that they trust us with. So it's a great job. It's a lot of responsibility that I'm very fortunate to have a team of 19,000 colleagues around the world who take very seriously, who are very responsible, very astute in making sure that we do understand the risk in our business and we are positioned to work through the uncertainties and be there for our customers when they're counting on us. And when you look out across the horizon today, what are the top risks the insurers face? This is a you get a chance to have a multi-part question right off the bat. How has that changed from prior years? And how does that impact an asset manager versus other industries? Yeah, it's a great question. And I have to think about it both macro from the enterprise perspective and business by business you know, that we're in and the businesses sometimes that our customers are in. Uh, to make sure we have that well-rounded perspective. And, you know, we all face, to varying degrees, sensitivity to the macroeconomic environment. And when the economy is strong, it tends to be a tide that lifts a lot of boats. And, and when it's going the other way, it tends to be a you know tough sailing for all of us. As an insurer, interest rates and credit markets probably dominate uh, how we think about macroeconomic sensitivity. But as a full financial services company, I also look at credit or currency markets and equity markets and so forth to make sure that we have that complete understanding. And I fundamentally believe that when you're 144 years old, you've learned how to weather all those cycles. And so we've seen the Great Depression, we've seen the financial crisis of 2008 and everything in between, good, bad, or indifferent. You know, our customers count on us to be able to get through those market environments with confidence and a steady hand on, on the rudder. Unique to being a life insurance company, we focus a lot on mortality and morbidity, and that had been a fairly stable and predictable thing until this global pandemic came along. And with COVID-19, there were a lot of effects, both the immediate effects of the loss of life and the illnesses that folks suffered from it, but the uncertain ongoing effects of things like long COVID, of people that postponed getting detective and preventative care during the pandemic, and of the rapid advance in medical technology with the vaccines that were developed and all of that can be a positive or a negative. And then we see significant changes in lifestyle over the last several years. And we see trends in obesity that are alarming. We see trends in mental health that are alarming as well. So there's there's a lot happening in the world right now that makes the management of mortality and morbidity risk a little bit more uncertain than it's ever been. So those are things you know that are unique to an insurance company. I think then we all think about strategic risk 
And, you know, are we innovating enough with our products? Are we keeping current enough with our technology to serve and meet our customers in the ways that they expect us to be able to do? We all worry about cyber risk. We all worry about regulatory uncertainty, geopolitical risk, and so forth. So there's a broad array of risks, some unique to insurance, some unique to asset management, some more global than that. Uh, One of the neat things about my job is I get to meet risk managers from other insurance companies, from other asset managers, and from manufacturing companies and goods and services companies and get a wide, and even from government agencies and get a wide range of perspectives that I try to bring back to how we think about our business here. It's interesting. I, I've taught insurance and I've run portfolios and all of that. The, you know, insurance companies are basically paid to take risk on both sides of the ledger, right? The vocabulary for what we call those risks differs right? Rate online versus yield spread. It's the same difference, right? It's what you're getting paid to bear a particular risk. And given where we are today with interest rates, spreads, inflation, all of that, where do you think you're getting paid to take risk? And are there areas where you think insurers should take a more conservative approach? It's another great question, Stuart, and you're right. In order to succeed in our market, we need to take risk. So my job is not to prevent us from taking risk. It's to make sure that we're taking risks that we understand and that we've appropriately provisioned for and that we know what could go wrong. You know, as we think about investment risk and the market cycles, we believe strongly, and I think Silicon Valley Bank was a, a good reminder of this, that disciplined asset liability management is critical throughout that if you lose your way with that you'll hit a cycle where you'll regret it and hopefully be able to survive it but depending how far misaligned the cash flows of your assets and your liabilities get you may or may not so that's one that we don't we're we're sort of all weather on that that you you want to have good alignment there and you always want to be testing you know the future uncertainties against that to see how you keep an alignment Uh, we have seen over time that market calls, so a conviction as to which way you think the market's about to head, are we about to enter into a recession, are we about to see interest rates go down, whatever it might be, have a bad track record of being able to add value. You can find individuals who won, just like you can find people who had the right team in the game last night that will want to tell you it was their expertise, that they knew how it was going to go, and you tend to remember the winners more than the losers. But we just fundamentally believe, and I fundamentally believe, that market calls are a tough way to create value over time. On the other side of it, credit underwriting and the ability of something in a class, particularly like real estate, to really understand the property and the covenants and the situation that it's in is a great way to create value over time. So we believe the fundamentals of strong underwriting of the asset properties in markets like this, where people might get nervous, is a great opportunity to create value. We believe in staying disciplined in ALM and staying humble in knowing what you're expert in and what you're not and knowing what you might be wrong about and being prepared for if it goes the wrong way, what that could mean are all key. But it's complicated and it takes a team and it takes healthy debate over the pros and cons to make the right decisions in that. Because back to your, your premise, I couldn't agree more. You have to take risk to create value. So we move to 
the topic of liquidity and measuring liquidity. Now, this is front and center for a lot of people right now, as you know, Ken. Insurers are trying to figure out too much liquidity. I mean, I can get paid to take on illiquidity risk. The question is how much, right? Because there's a cost to being too liquid, but there's a potentially catastrophic cost, as we've learned recently, being not liquid enough. Particularly, I think it was Warren Buffett who used the phrase, you can't tell who's swimming naked until the tide goes out, right? So how are you measuring liquidity in your portfolios and how should insurers determine how much liquidity they need as there has been a fairly significant and seems to be continuing march to private markets? Yeah, it's another great question and a timely one, Stuart. And, and you're right. I mean, most of the time in normal conditions, we're all going to feel like we have more liquidity than we need. But, you know, there's that rainy day to come and you need to make sure that you're always poised in position for that. You know, we believe for our insurance company that you have to stress test the assets and the liabilities. You have to look at both short and medium term stresses on those to really understand how well your liquidity can weather those storms. We believe and we've seen that having a diversified portfolio of assets and liabilities is very, very helpful. That having contingency resources is very, very helpful. And that you have a real keen understanding of how the liabilities are designed, that there not be a carelessness of having insurance products that that provide liquidity to the customer that you can't really support from your, and so you just hope that they never use it. We think that's a bad design and one that you have to be careful about. So, you know, that's what we've done. That's how we've managed our book of business. And when we work with others, those are the kinds of things that we, we talk about. But it is one that most of the time it's pretty easy to pass the tests, and some of the time it's pretty hard. And my job is to make sure we're focused on that some of the time when it's pretty hard. Absolutely. And The next item on the agenda here is also challenging, right? So I've heard this phrased a number of different ways, and and I'll go back to my friend and fellow podcast guest, uh, Nazar Lobedat, when he talked about what is the right period to look at returns and correlations for SAA models. Now, the context comes from this to saying, well, and Howard Marks actually it was a podcast. He came up with this idea of sea change and, and, you know, are we in a different market environment and, and does that require different assumptions or whatever? And then I've heard a, re- a retort to that that says, actually, the 10 years or so from GFC to 2021 were the anomaly. And that's the part that you should leave out. So, when you think about SAA, strategic asset allocation, what's the right period for returns and correlations and what's the right time period? Again, it's a great question. And, you know, to some of what you were starting to get into with the environment that we've been through, there's a lot of judgment involved and there's no substitute for good judgment. And we will occasionally see things that we've never seen before that will distort any ability to look at history, whether it's, you know, government intervention in the markets, 
whether it's an explosion, you mentioned, you know, private markets of new and different asset classes. We saw a proliferation of, you know, mortgage-backed securities prior to the financial crisis. All of those things will have effects that will make a, a model that's solely based on historical experience incomplete because we've thrown in market conditions that have never been represented in history. So that judgment overlay and that ability to think about what's different, what's fundamentally different that I need to to imagine in a broader way is always part of it. Having said that, you know, to be more precise on the specific question, we do tend to look over the course of a market cycle or over the life of a liability. And that probably boils down to, in most cases, we're looking over five and 10 years, but it's not just math. The math is important. It's part of the process, but the judgment is ultimately where you really distinguish yourself. Anybody can do the math. But the ability to have that balanced and thoughtful judgment is, I think, where you distinguish yourself. That's really helpful. And and kind of, we're kind of getting down to the closing out a little bit here. What issues are top of mind for you and other CROs as we move into the second half of 2023 here? Yeah, again, super question. You know, I always try to start thinking about our customers. First, and when I think about, you know, fundamentally that we're trying to help them save, invest those savings dollars and protect against the uncertainties in life, I see that opportunity and and that need is steady and only growing. When I think about what's changing with them, their demand for simple, customized and transparent solutions uh, in the world we're now operating in is extraordinary. And so how are we adapting our processes, our capabilities, our products to meet that is a very interesting challenge. As I think about the second half of the year, the macroeconomic conditions are going to be uncertain. But as I mentioned before, I think that's always going to be the case. And a company like ours needs to be built to get through whatever those conditions will be. And there will be good days and bad days ahead. And I'm not smart enough to know which ones are going to be immediately ahead. But I want to be prepared to thrive in the good times and survive in the bad ones. You know, when I think about the world we're in, the geopolitical uncertainty is growing, in my view. And I think it is important to develop contingency plans for what that might lead to, to make sure that you're diversified, whether that's supply chains or markets that you operate in, and that you have contingency plans if if things do go the, the wrong way. We always think about talent. We always think about technology. We always think about our culture. And we always think about the competitiveness of our capabilities. And, you know, really try to hold ourselves to a high bar on all of those. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, and I'm thrilled to hear the way you characterized us earlier, our reputation and our brand is essential to our success. And so making sure that we have good stewardship of that, that our employees understand that every day in the market, they represent that and our expectations are high. And then we have no tolerance for people that wouldn't look to uphold that is is critical. And so that that's really what's on my mind. Those wouldn't be unique to the fact that it's the second half of 23. And those would be on my mind pretty much all of the time. As we sit here right now, we're waiting for clarity in, in the Chilean markets with their constitutional reform, for example. Uh, we do have a house view that a recession is more likely than not, but we're uncertain of that. And we are recognizing, the as you mentioned earlier, the hard shift to private asset classes and thinking about all of that. I think the talent acquisition is so big in our industry right now. 
right? I go, I do all I can do to let people know that this is a very interesting industry with a lot of complexity and smart money running these assets, whether it's internal within the insurance companies themselves or in the asset management community that serves the folks who've decided to outsource some of those capabilities. And I've, I take every chance I get to beat the drum and wave the flag of the insurance asset management industry. I think it's a great industry and one that offers, you know, a lot of opportunities for the right folks. And we've got a, I mean, I'll, I'll toot our horn. We have a, I win the insurance women's investment network uh, sponsors a job board on our website. We try to make that available to the industry free of charge so that people can see the opportunities that are out there. So I think the talent acquisition is such a big deal right now. So I've got one fun question for you before we go. You can have your choice. You can take both of these questions. You can take one or either one or both. Who would you most like to have lunch with, alive or dead? Or what's the best piece of advice you ever got? Wow. There are so many people I'd love to have lunch with. Warren Buffett, who you mentioned earlier, would be on that list. I don't quite have the funds to to pay up for that one. You know, on the personal, just sort of fun level, Jack Nicholas would be one that I'd love to to talk to. On the best advice, you know, I've I've had so many good pieces of advice. I don't know that I can boil it down to a single one. You know, the thing that I think I would take the most pride in is that I've always, I think, been comfortable taking risk as long as we've done the work to make sure we understand what could go wrong and how would we get through it if it did. So as a CRO, a car can only go fast if it has good brakes. And I feel my job is to to be the brakes. And I feel like I'm kind of wired to enable the car to go fast and the businesses to thrive by knowing that the brakes work too. That's great stuff. I do want to tell you on a personal note that I I feel your pain with the Dairy Queen thing. I owned a place called Bob's Drive-In when I was in my 20s. I was working at Merrill Lynch and I ended up, I would drive after work and come home and work the ice cream stand at night and cleaning out that. I've been in dress shirts, cleaning out those ice cream machines, you know, and oh man, I mean, there's a unique smell to that, to that mix. And, and I get it, man. So uh, I feel you with that. So I really appreciate you being on, taking the time and joining us today. And and thanks for a great education from the CRO seat. Thank you, Stuart. Really appreciate the time. We've been joined today by Ken McCullum, Executive Vice President and Chief Risk Officer of the Principal Financial Group. Thanks for listening. If you have ideas for a podcast, we do listen, as you can tell by this podcast. Please shoot me a note at podcast.insuranceaum.com. Please rate us, like us, and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast content. My name is Stuart Foley, and this is the insuranceaum.com podcast.